Welcome to the Mostly AV Who We Are show. In this series, we highlight an AV professional, learn more about their story, and get their take on our industry. And now, without further ado, please welcome our hosts, Michelle Lorette and Jerry Gallegos. Uh, welcome, Michelle. How are you? Hey, Jerry. I'm good. We're really going to need to work out an, like a proper opening. I think yeah. we need a script. Yeah, we're just kind of free. We'll script the opening. Yeah, yeah. Just do something. I don't know. So today, I'm excited. Uh, we have with us Jason Jacoby. He is a CTS out of Nutley, New Jersey. And he is one of um, over 22 million people who have been furloughed and or lost their jobs um, in the past 30 days. So, hey, Jason. Welcome hey, to the morning. show. Thank welcome, you, Jason. Thank you for having me. So, you... Um, you are in Nutley, New Jersey? I am in Nutley, New Jersey, yes. Yeah, so and what part of New Jersey is that? So it is about 10 minutes away from Giants Stadium in the Meadowlands, if you know oh, where nice. the Meadowlands are. I'm yeah, about, yeah, yeah. You go 20 minutes the other way, I get to Newark Airport. And technically, if I was a crow and I flew into New York City, I'd be about 12 miles from New York City. Oh, wow. That's a great location. Yeah. It's really central. Let's me go into the city as needed, you know, go all over the place, fly out as needed as well. So it's really convenient. So I think Jason of Memory Serves, We first time we met was probably on an AV in the AM uh, happy hour, right? I mean, in person. In person, yes. I think that's the yeah. first time I got to see your face. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, and at the time, you were still working, correct? Correct. Um when this all really came to a head back in middle of March around this yeah. area, um, I, I sort of see like March 11th is kind of like the, that's the signing date. That's the date the NBA closed. That's when Tom Hanks was diagnosed. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of things going on right around that time frame. And during that time frame, um, I work for Diversi uh, Diversify. That's a company I'm currently furloughed from. Uh, Diversify had a good work from home set up for their employees already. So I was in, working as an engineer at that point. Mm -hmm. I was able to maintain my setup from home and maintain my communications from home and then, you know, continue to work. And then right. as this kind of stretched on and diversified, saw that this was going to stretch on for probably longer than they were going to be able to sustain all their employees. That's when they started, you know, first layoffs and then furloughs. And they've kind of moved on from there. What yeah. division were you focused on? I, yeah. So Diversified is a very interesting company because it lives up to its name as Diversified, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. There is a division for everything at Diversified. Yeah, um, that's why I was and, asking. Yeah. So I I got started in the AVE division, the Advanced Visual Environments. Um, oh, that sounds like a fun division to work. Right. With. Yeah. So it, basically AV, but you know we we also do some fun projects, and I ended up with some of the fun projects we can talk about if you want. Um, so I was working with them, and then I also had an opportunity kind of in the middle of my diversified career. If we go into it, you'll find that I've kind of journeyed a little bit with inside of diversified itself. Um, I kind of started working with the media and entertainment group as well. Uh, they do a lot of the broadcast studios. They yeah, also yeah. had a division that did kind of putting a broadcast truck type facility inside of a corporate facility. So we're going to build you a broadcast studio right in the middle of your corporate headquarters. Which and is excellent for, cor for corporate communications. I exactly. Mean, yeah, it, was, that's it was really a forward thinking idea. I kind of came into the program later and had to you know, maintain it. And it was, it was really a great concept. And really working with that was, it was interesting. So I actually kind of switched divisions and we, we also diversified since we're so big, we have things that are called cross regional and cross divisional projects that go obviously across the regions and across yeah. the divisions. So right. I've had the opportunity to work with multiple divisions and people from multiple divisions and multiple regions. So it, gotcha. it gets to be fun. Yeah, that's exciting. So, uh, so how did all this start? You have a proper education <laughs> in AV, which is quite rare, sir. Um, I'm I'm really impressed. So, uh, so I'll, you have uh, a mechanical engineering degree. Or no, 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 no. So, so let me describe my college uh -huh. career because that's kind of where my AV experience started. Is I kind of had two lives in college. I was I was blessed enough and lucky enough to have a family that supported me and. Uh, it's loans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I grew up in Connecticut. I mean, in a really nice part of Connecticut, but my parents were... Are there were, any not nice parts of Connecticut? I, come on, look, you know, it's, okay, it's, fine. it's a nice state. It, yeah. It's the part that all the commuters talk about. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the part I grew up in. Um, 
to New York City. New York City was my city. There's a part of Connecticut that you reach actually where people change to Boston as their city. They become Boston and Patriots fans and oh, Red Sox fans up there. Yeah. I was I was the New York part of it where I was a Yankees fan or I am a Yankees fan and uh-huh. Giants fan and all that. Cool. And so I was based, you know, growing up knowing about the city, but I was also grew up in a family that was very down to earth. My dad was an, was a teacher, but he was also a musician. Ah, cool. Um, and he was a real estate agent. I mean, he had like three, he had three different careers and my mom was also educated as a teacher. Um, so it was a very learning environment, very productive environment. My, my dad and my brother both play piano. So I grew up in a very musical family as well. Um, that sounds like a lovely family. I yeah, love that. You we, know? We, we had fun. I mean, I, it, it wasn't until later in life that I actually met people who didn't have a sense of pitch. And I'm like, you, you don't know what that is? You can't yeah. sing that pitch? <laughs> I didn't know they existed because everybody I was around, we were all singing songs. We were having fun, uh-huh. you know? I, I thought that, that was something most that... people today. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that right. was, you, you don't know show tunes? I mean, you don't know <laughs> classical music? How, how do you not know this? So... Uh, coming out of co- coming out of high school, I um, was looking at colleges, and I kind of wanted to go into mechanical engineering, and I wanted to actually design cars. I was very much into cars. I grew up building Legos and everything, and I wanted to design right. the car. I drove and really get into that aspect, and I went into mechanical engineering and was introduced to 8 a.m. classes of calculus and physics. Whew. And I, was, and I got stuck as one of the weed out candidates where it was like, this is the type of candidate we're going to weed out of the engineering program. And, <laughs> and I fell right into that trap. You know, I ended up at University of Delaware. It's a great school, but it's a very big school. Um, yeah. And, you know, 18,000, I think it was at that point, And they might even be bigger now. Um, but what I did find at Delaware that was interesting is I found two things down there. I found the music department. Mm-hmm. where, of course, I, I maintain my music there. I, I, I play trumpet. I was able to join their jazz band. We did some amazing master classes there, one with Arturo Sandoval and one with Harry Connick Jr. Oh, so lovely. able to meet these amazing musicians coming in. And then also there, I joined a music fraternity, uh, Find Me Off of Symphonia, if there's any Symphonians out there. Hello. Um, uh, shout out. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So there is such cool. a thing, right? Yeah. It, it, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and I was able to make some friends there. So I ended up spending most of my time at the music building. And then I also got involved with the student uh, committee on programming and events. So I started seeing how events were created and how events were produced. So uh, the first event I did with them was load in and load out for a concert at their arena. That was the opening act. The opening act was Weezer. Oh, and, the, I, and the headlining act was live. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, right now, show, I'm sure. right nowadays it would be reversed, but the, it, it it still gave me that. That was my first large concert experience. Where right. I was like, "Wow, cool! Big sound systems, big audio consoles. Okay, this is interesting. This is fun stuff." We also yeah, did con- been, uh, supporting a throwing copper album. Exactly so at, at their peak. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Right then, so great, you can yeah, you can date though. me. <laughs> hey, I'm older, so. <laughs> 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 You know, so it, it was a really good environment for that. And um, I also, if you know Scott at all, we got into Scott and we had the mm-hmm. toasters come in. And my claim to fame with the toasters is they came in and said, do you know where a basketball court is? I said, sure. Right across the street. And I ended up playing basketball with the toasters. Oh, nice. <laughs> kind Fun. Of crazy <laughs> random thing. But so that was Delaware. But after two years there, I found I was not really doing well in my major. <laughs> right. I kind of switched to through a few different majors at that point. And. I was finding I wasn't really being a good college student. So thankfully, I had a loving family, as I said, in the background. And my mom said, you know, I know these people who are kind of like college counselors. They, they talk about gap year programs for high school students. And, you know, maybe you can look into something like that. So I was lucky enough to get paired up with somebody who introduced me to a program up in Worcester, Massachusetts called uh, Dynamy. And Dynamy is an internship year program. Uh, if you nice. have any kids looking coming out of high school looking for a gap year program, that's kind of where it's situated. Has it, and, has it spelled Dynamy? D-Y-N-A-M-Y. Okay. And okay. what they do is they start you out with a, a three-week outward bound program up in Maine. They, they say, we're going to take you out of your environment, throw you into the middle of the wilderness, you know, supervised, obviously. Um, we're going to throw you out there. And if you can survive that, then everything else you do for the rest of the year is going to look really easy. So we did a, a 12-day hike up in the, on the Appalachian Trail up in Maine. 
rain the entire 12 days we were hiking. I wow. felt like I wanted to break my leg and go home, you know. It was yeah, just, <laughs> I probably felt like boot camp, right? Right, exactly. Right. You feel a little bit like that boot military. camp. Exactly, very much so. And then it went to canoeing and the sun came out. And I kind of, at that point, I kind of developed a sense of confidence. Like, look, I just made it through this yuck here. Let's, you know, now that I know I can take that. And I think the phrase I learned at that point is you can take, you know, take a, just as much energy to frown as it does to smile, right? Mm-hmm. So you can right. take the energy you're using to frown, you can turn it into a smile and look towards the positive side. So I, I maintained that attitude and really regained my confidence after that outward bound experience. And then the rest of the internship years doing internships and also community service. Uh, so I had three internships. My first one, I thought about going into education. Uh-huh. I wanted to teach, right? I had educators as my family. Absolutely. Learned that I'm good with kids. Kids love me, but I'm not organized enough to be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Teachers are amazing organizers. They're amazing just the way they can control everybody and, and, and the kids and work with the kids. Thank you to all the educators out there. You do amazing work. Um, appreciate all of you. Um, but it just wasn't for me. It wasn't exactly where I was. So the next internship I got was with a guy who made custom bicycle frames. Oh, wow. Because I, I thought, you know, I could be mechanical. And I turned out that I'm kind of a klutz. So, <laughs> it's like, okay. yeah. I can't even ride. Bicycles are highly overrated. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, it, it really, it was like, yeah, okay. Finally, that March was my 21st birthday. I went to the Blue Note in New York City with my brother. Uh, I forgot the group that we went to see. And um, we're sitting there listening to the jazz. My brother goes, you know, you can combine your two interests. You can combine the technical and the music. There is a, a, a path out there for sound engineering or music engineering, and you can right. do that. And I was thankful enough that my brother brought that up. I went back up to Dynamy, and I actually did an internship, but I kind of worked for an AV company up there. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the company, but they brought me in as kind of like their junior little intern. They taught me how to put together a sound system back in the late 90s. So a sound system you know, was your analogs, console, your speaker on sticks and whatever, and we we had some fun. Um, their Back when the stuff used to be hard, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the most important skill of all, how to properly wind up a cable. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they taught me all all the base skills, and it 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 was like, yeah, I can do this stuff. This is fun. And coming out of that, I still wanted to. I was still brought up. Uh, wanting to get my bachelor's degree, I really wanted to find a program that where I could get a bachelor's, and at that time, bachelor's programs for music recording were few and far between. Yeah. Um, they're, they're still not very popular, but they're a little bit more, you know, there's the NYU's of the world, Middle Tennessee State, I think had a program. Full uh, sale. Yeah, full um, sale was just starting at that point. So they were still kind of like certificate, but we can probably get you in associates. You yeah. Know, it was, it yeah. was, it was still, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I think, I think the hard part is getting accreditation to the programs. Right? Yeah, because it they is. They generally don't focus on the basic parts. Yeah. The those core, you know, those no, core nobody, courses nobody coming wants to get into recording or music productions. Like, why do I have to take, you know, mathematics? You right. Know, why do I have to take an English course? Why do exactly. I have to that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> right. And those, it's, really, it's really more of a vocational path as opposed to a, a true degreed. Right. So I was, I was lucky enough to find in Connecticut, all of like 30 minutes from where I grew up, a program at the University of New Haven that was just starting up um, right. and where they were doing a music and sound recording degree. So I was able to get into UNH, um, the other UNH, uh, the Chargers. And what I found at UNH was this great environment. Um, I joined the programming committee there because I had done it down at Delaware. I actually founded the pep band at, oh, cool. at University of New Haven because they had a football team that was a Division II school that really wanted to be a 1AA school. So the year I got there, um, they had gone to the national championship game. And actually, we flew down to the national championship game for the Division II, which is played at in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So <laughs> it was a, the private jet story of boarding a jet up in, in, at Bradley Airport in Connecticut and then coming down into Muscle Shoals Airport, nice. which at that time was one strip of runway. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and, I, I, yeah. and a shack. And we got off the plane. The guy looking at the plane goes, 
wow, I didn't know that something that big could land here. But, you know, it was like... It However, was a, one of the most world-famous recording studios is... Yeah, exactly, Russell right? Exactly. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's where Leonard Skinner did yeah. their stuff. Oh, look at you throwing out fun facts. Yeah, it's a yeah. small it's world. 8 a.m. more often. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so, uh, there, there's documentaries regarding the Muscle Shoals recording studio. So awesome. Anybody's into the music production stuff, there's, there's really good, I think, two or three documentaries based around the Muscle Shoals recording phenomena that happened. Anyway, so, so, so you landed Muscle Shoals. <laughs> landed Muscle Shoals, do the pep band, fun times. I also was able to join, University of New Haven didn't have a band program, but I was able to join the band programs up over at Southern Connecticut State University, where I met two amazing professors over there. One ran the community band, uh, Dr., the late Dr. Mike Moss, uh -huh. um, beautiful person. We lost him a little while back to a uh. uh, sudden heart attack, but just a beautiful person um, who had the ability to take a community of people at different skill levels and really form just a, a perfect ensemble from there. And it was, it was really a, an amazing skill that he had. Um, and then I also met a, a, another professor there who I'm still friendly with and still play with a guy named David Shevin, um, who at that time, we started a band that I still play in occasionally. I don't know if, if I'm not promoting anything here because we it's kind you of can. a non, it's nonprofit, but it's fine. It, so it, is this podcast. Hey, right. promote away. <laughs> it's, it, it's called the New Haven Capale, uh, K A P A Y L E, and it's New Haven and U Haven. Uh, they're on Spotify if you want to look up okay. uh, the, the charts. Um, Everybody check it out. Right. We just released a YouTube video where you'll see me playing trumpet scary enough. Um, but I love that. It, what it's, that's another community group. It's another group, people in the community, different skill levels, coming together to play right. great Jewish jazz. And, and, and Jewish fun stuff, and we we have a we have a fun time with that. So I, I bring them up as well because at New Haven, David became my muse in some ways, where I was able to get recording lab time at the studio and bring in okay. these local musicians and say, "Hey, I got a studio. You guys yeah. need to record something. Let's go." So that was I was able to get a lot of experience with them in that community. Um, I was also able to get an internship at that time at a local recording studio. So I saw what a local recording studio does and how it acts. And right. it kind of taught, it kind of learned very quickly that I love recording. I love the process of recording, you know, setting up the microphones, getting the sounds. Right. That initial setup and pre-production is really the part of it that I love. But then once the recording starts, it's not really my skill set. It's not. It's not yeah. really my my strength. It's there. There are people who are very good at it. There are people out there who are very good at the editing. Who are very good. Yeah, that part that. of the art artistic right. process as well, right? right? And yeah, yeah. It's a totally it? different. Uh, you know, have haven't been a recording studio for mm -hmm. a guy for a long time. That is a very. Most people don't realize. They just go, "Oh, you're a recording guy." Like, well. That, that's almost like saying, oh, you're a construction guy. Right, exactly. You know, the process, you, know, yeah, you, got, right. plumbers, you got electricians, you got roofers, you got, you know, people. And it, there's different parts of the process that each one of them kind of has their own little micro discipline. Right. You can be an excellent, you know, setup second engineer. Mm -hmm. You can be a, a great producer slash recorder. And there's also the editor. There's also the guy that mixes it. And they don't necessarily have to be the same guy. There's a lot of... Uh, instances where it is the same guy, but it, if if you look at the big productions of like you know pretty much everybody that's on most people on the radio, most right. of those people are different people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the credits, it's like the, you know this is the guy that set up the mics and did all the you know the actual spooling up the tapes and whatever or setting up the pro tool sessions. This is the guy who actually produced and recorded. This is the guy who did the editing. This is the guy who did the mixing, and then this is the guy who did the mastering. You know, so right. it breaks. You know, and again, people had. You, like different parts of the process. So, yeah. And what you also learn really quickly is there are a lot of talented people in this business. And I've been mm -hmm. lucky enough to get associated and meet a lot of them along the way. And there's, I'm a guy up in New Haven, uh, shout out to Vic Steffens and Horizon Music Group up there. Vic was a, is a still working up there, recording engineer who more people should have heard of by now. Uh, but, you know, people don't hear recording engineers. But again, I know, I know. The, the, the unsung heroes, right? He... 
he's a drummer, but he also has a sense of pitch. I mean, it's it's a dangerous combination. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. He, he really knows his stuff, but he also taught me very quickly that I don't have a good poker face. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so when you when you're sitting there in the recording studio and somebody hits the snare wrong or hits a wrong note and you make you know kind of like that a, a that that face, you know, you can picture that face when you make that face. That's not a good thing to do, and <laughs> especially in the recording studio. So you, you, you learn a lot of life lessons in a recording right. studio very quickly because you get a whole range of people. And Vic was great at bringing in. Uh, and still is uh, just everybody. We did really hard metal to rock and roll to gospel to we had late night sessions that were hip hop sessions. Um, I don't want to stereotype anybody, but they were very stereotypical hip hop sessions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, one of the things you learn is public relations because, like you know, right. saying you know, a lot of times you're sitting there, you have an eight eight hour session recording mm-hmm. somebody who. You're like, you really don't belong here. But your money's green, just like everybody else's. Exactly. <laughs> you have no exactly. business being in the studio. It's like, you don't have talent. Your music is crap. But hey, yep. have at it. Do it with a smile. And you have, you know, you, so you temper your own, right. you know, your own uh, feelings in, in the studio, which is a great skill to learn. So before like, hey, we hear, you know how to fake it good. Before we hear all day talking about my college career, I have two more things I did at UNH. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's you, knock that out. Yeah, all right. Let's get those two things quick is that I was after my first season with the pep band and the football team, I ended up working for the radio station for WNHU 88.7 FM still out there broadcasting 1.5 million audience because of the location and everywhere it was. And I ended up becoming the jazz director where I did a jazz program every Monday morning. And I ended up becoming the sports director where I ended up doing the play by play at, uh, commentary for uh, the football team. So you were having the time of your life. I was. That yeah. was. I, I love New Haven. I, the I marriage still, of both worlds, right? It, it was. It, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was an amazing time. So uh, coming out of New Haven, I had two offers on the table. I was able to get an interview with Ed Sargent and the Maynard Ferguson band. Nice. And they actually, I had an offer to run monitors for them over at Ronnie Scott's Club in London. It's kind of, kind of like a contract gig that they were going to do. Wow. You know, wow, craziness. Right. But then there's practical me. I also had a very practical offer on the other side. Uh, one of the former graduates of UNH had come back and said, Hey, I'm recruiting for this company called ESPN. I work for up in Bristol. Come work, come work with us. I know you guys have the background that we need. You know, Shut we can tra- the front door. Really, we can tra- train you quickly. So I was able, one of four people, I think, who were f- first part of the program, to to get in as a studio tech at ESPN. So you so, you chose ESPN. I chose ESPN. That was. It was. Fun, <laughs> it was I don't yeah. know. I think I would have. Because how old were you at that point? Oh, good question. That was what twenty three. 24? I mean, I don't know. I would have. I, I, there's that part of me that would have been like, "Oh, this is a chance to go to London and this experience." Like, you know, I can do the settle down stuff later. Although, obviously, an opportunity with ESPN is pretty mind blowing in and of itself. Right. It, you know, just it, on its own. So I don't know. That would have been a tough one. It, it is one of those interesting things to look back at that timeline and understand where it would have led me and where it would have gone right. and and everything else that. There, there are, you know, there's everybody can take a different path, and we, we yeah. never you know when that decision you're going to have to make it. Um, but I stayed at ESPN for a year because uh, ESPN is a great company and they're great people. My roommate from college actually still works there after 17, 18 years <laughs> as a as a video guy. That's um, amazing. And there's a lot of people who get careers out of ESPN, and you know, ESPN is also a springboard to a lot of other people's careers. And I was able to find a job online, which back in 2000 was kind of this interesting, you know, new world where you could go you online. Dialed up, <laughs> right? I, I dialed up. Looking at your monster board, <laughs> Cra- Craigslist, you know, all these things. I'm like, where am I going to find this job? And I found a job in New York City. Remember, New York City was always kind of that basis that I saw as like the big place to go and where everything was happening. Which it is. Right. Right. Which still is. And I found a job as an associate recording engineer at Manhattan School of Music. So I could go back to recording. I could go back to music. It was at uh, well, in that uh, academia aspect. Of exactly. Music. Right. Sure back, that was, yeah. Back in the educational sense. environment. Exactly. Yep. There, there, there's a certain energy on the, on the college campus. Um, so I arrived in New York City in August of 2001. 
So our whole world uh, changed uh, uh, about a month later. Wow. Um, I, I was in I was in New York City on 9-11, but I was five miles uptown in a recording studio that basically served as a bomb shelter. Uh-huh. So we kind of uh-huh. had no clue what was going on until our phones started ringing up people from other places calling us going, do you see what's happening? Um, so it was, you know, our, the world kind of changed, right? That was right. really the first Drastically, yeah. changing of the guard. And I was able to stay at Manhattan for uh, four years, you know, really uh, work with a great uh, chief engineer there. They also did a distance learning program there where they were doing the dial up and trying to get musicians on other side of the dial up to perform, which, you know, (laughs) drove the chief engineer nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I also got a little bit into audiophile at that point. Um, I had a, we had a good family friend who had one of Mark Levinson's, uh, demo systems from his cello days right. in, a, in his living room. Um, so I was able to experience audio file systems and hear the differences and start hearing these great things. And it was really a, a fun learning experience. Met a woman who became my ex-wife. You know, I met her there. Um, and, you know, we were having fun. And then that kind of ended. And I was able to, again, get onto the internet and find a job as the AV manager at Central Synagogue. So there you go. Speak about perfect positions again, right? Little Jewish boy from Connecticut, you know, synagogue, no AV. Hey, making your parents proud, giving back to the community. Exactly. It was it was the perfect job. So, Um, what what are your responsibilities at a synagogue from a visual perspective? I'm curious. That's where Central Synagogue is unique. Um, Central Synagogue is a 1,200 seat sanctuary in the middle of Manhattan. It has a 400-seat event space underneath it. It has a seven-story school across the street from it. Oh, wow. So it's wow. it's kind of like its own little campus. It, yeah. Right. There's, a, there's a lot going on. It is, it is really is central in that, in that New York uh, Reform Judaism scene. And what had happened at Central Synagogue is it's a, a, it's a historic landmark building, but it had suffered a major fire in the late 90s. Um, almost burned to the ground. They were able to save the shell of it. And they rebuilt it, and it reopened just before 2009-11. Actually, a couple weeks before. Um, And they reopened it. And when they rebuilt it, they built in technology. They went out, they hired Sam Burkow and SAI Acoustics to redo the acoustics in the place. Um, and And they hired them to come in and put in this AV system. So when I started there, um, they had all the AV installed already. It was a sound web system. It was a three camera switching, you know, and they had all this portable gear and whatever. So as the AV manager, I had to keep track of all my gear. I had to run the services. At that point, we were just recording the services, you know, uh-huh. bar about mitzvah as needed and kind of work as a producer in that environment. Right. And I kind of made it into my own little television show along sure. with the maintenance staff there and everybody we really ran it you know on the clock simple and then we also got into streaming at that point we it was you know things were starting to go online and we're like hey we could stream this service to people who weren't able to make it to the sanctuary now did you know of any other synagogues that were streaming at this point not many no. uh, there are a few that were doing podcasting you know a little okay. podcasting there was a few that were kind of getting into technology but honestly most of the resources i found were from like church production magazine ah uh, <laughs> yes 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 okay all right cool so i I, you know, I went to Streaming Media East, you know, I found we're in the business and this was kind of also like my introduction to the integration industry where it was like, hey, there's these people who aren't the operators. They're the people who come in and install the systems and design the systems. Huh. That's something to that's keep in the back. That's interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right? something to keep back in the back of the mind there. So I, I was able to introduce streaming. We had probably less than a hundred people on the first stream and now they get over thousands per, per each, each high holiday service and the bigger services. So well, really, then you, I mean, you saw they were, uh, I mean, they, you know, the, the, uh, they ended up saying that you could do Seder. I mean, over zoom, that was, <laughs> did you ever think that would come down from, um, uh, up, up, from up high? I mean, right. that's a big deal. And yeah. one of my girlfriends, uh, down in new Orleans, uh, Joanna Sternberg, um, you know, her 92 year old Nana, was actually got on a Zoom call uh, for Passover. That's like it's because they're in New Orleans, and so they're in a, a real hot spot as well. And and it was uh, it's very revolutionary. So that's where you first got introduced to what we would consider pro AV, just our traditional yep. pro AV integrator. Interesting. One of the integrators there was a, co- a little company called Altel. 
I uh-huh. kind of done part of the system there. And another integrator I met there when they didn't want to use Altel was called SPL. Oh, <laughs> so nice. you go way back. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I met them then and I kind of maintained those contacts and said, nah, okay. So I ended up leaving uh, Central Synagogue. Um, I probably stay overstayed my welcome a little bit, but you know, nonprofit politics, we all get sure. there. <laughs> We've all been there before. Um, and I actually was unemployed for a little bit and I was trying to decide where in the where in the industry I wanted to be. Did I want to go really more back into the production side? I was able to hook up with some old live sound friends and I did the rocking on the river cruises around Manhattan as a monitor engineer for them a little bit. Um, and found like some other little gigs. But you know, I was really looking for something bigger than that. And I reached back out to my pals over at AVI SPL and I was able, I walked into the interview at AVI SPL and I was wearing my suit because, you know, I thought to always dress nice for a job interview. And I walked into the installation department wearing a suit and the installation manager kind of looked at me and said, you're in the wrong department. Let me introduce you here to our on-site management team. I think they could use you. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so I got introduced to the on-site management team and got a job at uh, on-site at Barclays Capital. And another fun place to be, it was 2010-ish, 2011, two years after the collapse of Lehman Brothers in the Lehman Brothers building. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got impeccable timing. (laughs) I know. My timing. Exactly. I I, kind of end up in the the craziest places. Um, So on-site management, 10 of VC, whatever, it's a job. I was still, you know, looking, trying to trying to see what else was out there. And right. one of the other companies I reached back out to was Altel. And I called up a uh, shout out to Mike Chrissy, up, who was up at Altel at that point. And I said, hey, kind of looking for something. He's like, well, you can come up here and take my job. Because he was going to move on to Crush Town, I think, at that point. And, and it was like... Um, Okay. I love when people bequeath you their jobs. <laughs> right? Several people do that for me over the years. It's the weirdest thing where they're like, you're perfect to replace me because I'm out of here, but you'll love the company. Don't worry. <laughs> it was, a, it, and it was a great position. The only catch was it was 70 miles away from my current, Ooh. you know, where I lived. So it was yeah. a very long commute, but great people up there. Just it was, Altel was a small company, 13 people total, I think. Um, Mike had had a job that was kind of like a project manager. We're also kind of the operations manager, kind of ran the whole show. Uh, we were able to go out with the the sales execs, you know, do the site survey, come back, sit down at the table in the boardroom, draw out the the signal flow, draw out everything else, go through, put together a bill of materials, you know, put right. that into a drawing, hand that off to CAD and, and start down the line. So I really was able to see the entire integration process from start to finish. We also had consultant-based jobs. Uh, one of the jobs we had there was the background music and paging system at Carnegie Hall. So, you know, we... Um, we saw what the consultant, I was able to see what, how the consultant played in the, in the role they played and how they were integrated into the product process. So it was really an amazing learning experience and really just a deep dive. Um, I don't it's know always you- nice to acquire a whole new skill set and a whole new understanding. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. This is a very layered industry. There's a, so many different directions and so much like experience. And then it just becomes this culmination of all the experience. Right. So what, what happened next? Um, the 70 mile commute kind of got, to me a little bit. I had, uh, a, I had, a, little. I had a family Gee. back in New Jersey who was missing me and I was yeah. like, can I find something closer to home? Um, and I found a, um, a job with McCann Systems. They're based in Edison, New Jersey, which is probably about 30 minutes south of me, 20 minutes south of me. So not a bit. Didn't Joanna Arsenal used to? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's how, that's how they came on my, my radar. All right. Yes. Cool. So McCann was a fun company. Um, we, we took on some very interesting projects at McCann. Um, they had some really interesting relationships. Um, yeah, they seem like a pretty dynamic group. I don't, yeah. yeah I, they, I've always they, been they, really impressed by them. They definitely take on some fun stuff. Uh, one of the projects that I love doing there, just, just a crazy adventure, was the Homer Dome for Comic-Con in 2014. Oh, uh, now that is cool. What, what, uh, what were some of the design elements that you had to pull off? So they were building a structure of Homer Simpson's head that was about 26 feet tall and 20, 22 feet wide. And they wanted to do a five projector blend inside the dome that was the top of his head. 
uh-huh. with, with sound. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. I know that does sound. That's cool. yeah. <laughs> I had never done dome projection before, and I was like, "Okay, how do I do this?" And I actually Googled. You know, we had people on the team who were coming up with ideas, and it sure. just really wasn't gelling as well right. as it felt like. Right, we didn't really have a, a, a continuous vision. And I, I Googled dome projection one day, and I came up with the domeprojection.com, which is a company by Adela Creeland. Right. That's so funny. And I Googled it. That's me. I've got yeah. a Google PhD. I'm well, I, think, I think the, the flight simulator people have been doing that for ages. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. This Jerry is, loves to do that. This is before. So most dome projection that you do nowadays, it's kind of built into the program. The setup is built into a lot of the, there's a lot of programs out there. Uh, yeah. Modulo High, I think we just had a, a, a lunch and learn with. They came and showed us they do the same thing. But Back, you know, this is only six years ago, right? Back five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't that popular. And what Adela had done, which still blows my mind, is she had come up with a 360 camera, set it up in the middle of the dome, project dots on, onto, the, onto the dome, and see how much they're skewed. And by being able to do all the calculations, she was able to do a full projector blend of five projectors in about, the initial blend took about 15 minutes. Really? Wow, that's that's, that's <laughs> crazy. It's like, okay, that works. Can um, I ask? It's not important, but what? Sure. Uh, which projector manufacturer did you go with? They were Christie. They were, um, okay. McCann had a very good relationship with Christie, and yeah. we were able to get some really nice projectors. Cool. Um, that also, <laughs> the initial mock-up for this, so Homer, the dome itself was built in a shop in Brooklyn, uh-huh. and we did a mock-up in the middle of July in Brooklyn in the dome. And the way they built the dome is they built it big enough to fit in their shop, uh-huh. but not actually to sit on top of the rest of the structure. So the dome was probably about three feet off the ground. You kind of duck under, and then you're inside under the dome. Right. And we put five Christie projectors under there in the July summer in New York City, you know, 90 degree humid day. Boring. <laughs> I'm sure. Flop sweat everywhere. Flop sweat. Just crazy story and then the the better story with homer was that they shipped it from brooklyn out to san diego and over the course of the shipping they kind of expanded and uh, and kind of changed a little bit so when it got to san diego a it arrived two days late because one of the trucks stopped in arizona for an extra day so we're already behind the clock and then when they went to put homer back together again this is like humpty dumpty now oh yeah they went to put him back together again he didn't go back together so wow. uh, that is so annoying. <laughs> oh my god! Like Hubble telescope syndrome. I know. <laughs> so they actually ended up firing the original production company that was hired to put it together, and brought in a secondary company <laughs> to build scaffolding around it. And really, just you could hear them banging it together. And we had, by the time they got it together, it was past the first day they wanted to open, and you know, twelve hours before the next day they wanted to open. Right. They're like, "Okay, now it's your turn." We're like, "Oh no." Oh. <laughs> So we were able to get it up and running, and it was a, it ended up being a fun experience, but it was definitely a learning experience. That's cool. Those don't come along very often, like right. those types of unique uh, use cases. Yeah, the fun, the fun projects. Exactly. So yeah. I, um, McCann stayed there for a while. You know, I've heard on previous projects, people talking about the recruiters coming in. You know, Jerry, I heard you talk about it. You know, I had a recruiter come in and say, hey, there's this thing going on in New York now. You know, you want to come back to New York, you can do all this. And I was kind of in the middle of a transitional period in my life. Um, you right. know, it was, it was the start of my divorce. You know, it was, it was a whole lot of craziness going on. And I was kind of like, sure. You know, why not? So after We're a year, just going to add to the crazy. We're just right. going to start exactly. a whole new job. Why too. not? Why not? <laughs> My friends like to say I don't keep anything simple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so I ended up going to a company in New York City um, for about a six-month period. Good people, again, but very small satellite office of a main office and working with them for a little bit. And it just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't where I wanted to be at that point. I, you know, there were just. But you don't know sometimes till you get there. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's like you can't interview enough to know without actually being part of the group to see if it's if it's really you know you're that puzzle piece if you right. Exactly. So it. Thankfully, I still had my network available to me. I still knew people who knew people who knew people, and one of those people I knew was at Diversified. And, you know, I reached back out to them and said, hey, you know, and they're like, yeah, come to Diversified, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take you on. We'll, we'll have some fun here. So 
I had two offers coming out of there, one to another company in New Jersey, one to Diversified, and I ended up going with Diversified. And Was that before or after the TI acquisition? So I joined Diversified about a month before the Systems Group acquisition. So when I joined Diversified, it was one office in Kenilworth that had shipping and receiving the shop, everybody, Fred's office, all in the same building. And then I joined, and then like a month after I joined, they acquired the systems group, and then they acquired technical innovations. And all of a sudden, it went from a little small company to, you know, a really big Behemoth. company. Yeah, yeah. And, and just keeps growing from there. It's really been amazing to be a part of that growth and to see that growth and to get introduced to all the great people we've brought on board. There's been some really amazing engineers and project managers and, and you know, executives who have come in who have really brought some great ideas into the company. So. Has everybody tended to like melt into each other's culture, or they're still kind of, kind of a little bit of gang mentality based on who your previous company was and things like that? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, well, not, yeah, I that with ABI SPL, they did that uh, for a long time. Their their Dallas office, like here's the ABI people on this side of the building, SPL people on that side of the same office. Diversified has has tried their best to integrate everybody together. Um, right. There's been a, a long process of trying to get all our systems unified that's right. been the biggest challenge is really getting all the systems unified right and, and they've really put a lot of effort and a really a great and a lot of money and a lot of money yes <laughs> it's very expensive to do that and and a lot of good executive leadership to right. that process they realize that they need to unify the company so yeah, they get they, everybody they, on the same playbook yeah right diverse go ahead Sorry, Diversified was built on engineering, right? They really started as an engineering company, so they've really tried to maintain that. That our engineers are really the strength of this company, and we're going to build it from there. Right, and I agree but, with that. But you know, something that runs a little counter is, you know, I agree. The engineers are the top of the pyramid. I mean, a good engineer, me as somebody in business development, right? You know, if if you don't have a good engineer or you don't treat them well and you think you're above them in the pyramid, you're actually wrong. I mean, you know, because they can, they can torpedo you any day of the week. It, it, all, it all goes back to engineering. But what is very counterintuitive, and I'm hoping that this will change, is the fact that then every time you move or, you know, one of the locations gets a new office, you eliminate offices with doors for your engineers and you put them in cubicles when these are people that need to be able to focus and concentrate. Right. Why are you doing what we hate that all of our enterprise customers are doing and that we argue about all the time and that we point out does not... It, well, and come on, let's be honest. Hot desking, that, that concept is so dead. I, Condeco, change your strategy. I mean, ho- hoteling and this, nobody's going to want to sit at somebody else's germy space. And, you know, if we all had offices with doors, we actually probably could go to the same place, you right. know? So right. I, I just, so that's always like, I, I, I'm not saying they're hypocritical. I'm just saying that there is a hypocrisy to that. Well, thankfully, um, Diversified, again, is a smart company, right? Yeah, they they, they, they under, pivot quickly. They, they pivot quickly. They understand, you know, what makes them, what gives their engineers their strengths. And they, they've been able to maintain some of that separation without demanding, you know, that their engineers all be in the same office. Um, no, that's true. That's true. Well, you know what? The weird thing, um, and this is just so shocking, there's so many quality people like yourself, Jason, that I know and that I've known for a long time that I'm just shocked that that they are furloughed and or laid off and or whatever nomenclature that is that their employer chose to use, usually based on wherever headquarters is. You know, if you're a California company, you use certain language. At this point, all bets are off because, you know, the feds are trying to back things up. Obviously, you know, states are administering these unemployment um, processes, which is very painful for them. Um but yeah, her state has a different guideline. Exactly. So how has the process been for you, Jason? Were you, have you been able to get through and file? Yes. And um, okay. Yes. I've, I've actually, I live in New Jersey and I work in New Jersey. So Perfect. it's been fairly simple for me to be able to get online. Um, Good. It's not e- going to be the easiest in the next couple of months when, when you talk about benefits and everything else. It, yeah. it, it kind of gets a little crazy with benefits. Um, yeah. How does that work? So, for the first month, <clears throat> hopefully this isn't 
secret information, but for the first month, um, Diversified was able to support my benefits. That's nice. You'd be able to, yeah, which was a nice offer from them. And then if this extends past the first month, then I do have to actually pay back into the benefit plan to maintain my current level of benefits. It's not, and I've been on Cobra before, so it's not Cobra. If you if you end up on Cobra, then it's your portion and the employer's portion, which is right. a giant amount per month. But it was it is, but but if if they uh, if they would have put into the stimulus relief package like they did in two thousand nine, right? I mean, that's the only way I was able to keep my Molex benefits is because it was only going to cost me three hundred fifty dollars a month. Normally, it would, it's something like fifteen hundred, and you're exactly. like, exactly. Oh my God, I'm only getting. 1600 a month. So I can't, right. uh, you know, I can't live on a hundred dollars. So I'm a little disappointed at our, at our legislators um, that they haven't, I don't know, especially because this is a medical crisis, if you will. Yes. Uh, so Agreed. I'm like, uh, somebody did not get the memo. So hopefully they will. Um, so continue. So you, uh, all right. So this is so, not, yeah. right. We, we kind of skipped to the end of my diversified career. We were just gone yeah. to the beginning. Um, I've had many roles inside of Diversified itself. Um, I, I started off as a project manager, and then I became a program manager. And uh, just from other things going on in my life, I had kind of taken a step back and uh, being able to step back into the engineering role. Yeah. Um, I've always been a very technical project manager, right? As, as I said, when I started right. in the industry, I learned how to do drawings. I learned how to read a drawing. I learned how to do markups. Yeah, I um, love So I've always been a very technical project manager. And then program management was kind of an extension of that. I was able to join a group where if you put all the projects together, we probably were the fifth largest integrator in the country, but inside nice. of another yeah. integrator. And I was able to work with some of the best engineers in the company, some of the best project managers, some of the best coordinators in the uh, company. Don't you and, love that when you're on the A team? God, yeah, uh, it's the best feeling. It's it just it's like a well-oiled machine. You know, going, going back to the recording days, it was so much easier uh -huh. when you had great musicians in the studio to record <laughs> them <laughs> as opposed to the other. So when you have the great people there on the other side, you just sit there and you try to be that conductor who's just... I know you're going to hit your notes. I know you're uh -huh. going to come in at the right time. Let me just put you in the right place at the right time. So that was really kind of the role I tried to adapt was trying to take the, the resources that I had and make sure that they were able to succeed in what they were doing. Right. So I'm working from there. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's, it's, there, there are so many times you know as a high school trumpet player it goes back to my high school trumpet playing yeah. days for a high school trumpet player you're looking at maynard you're looking at the lead players and you're like they're the top of the world they're the top of the band and, you know you got to have that that attitude that there's no one above you yeah and then i got to college and i went oh wow there's these other players here who are really above me good okay <laughs> <laughs> and and you got to learn that lesson i think everybody kind of needs to learn that lesson at some point yeah. where the big fish, little, little pond. Exactly. Little and you got to understand when you walk into a situation, you got to know what you know, and but you also have to know what you don't know. And you right. have to be able to admit that there are things when you walk into those meetings that you don't know. But thankfully, if you're lucky enough, you have somebody else on your team who right. does and know. You, and you have be able to be able to put your to ego that. aside and say, you know what? I don't know this, but let me learn and let me get right. somebody who does. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So... You know, the furlough has been interesting. I, I posted an article on Twitter from the New York Times that I read last night, you know, where you hit the pause button on a human being. Yes. You, you start reimagining, you know, you start thinking again. And so I've been thinking of where I do fit in this industry, you know, kind of trying to rethink that role. And it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I, I love... I love the creative projects. I love the experiential projects. I love mm -hmm. the, the, the ones that aren't your typical conference room, you know, that, that aren't right. your typical AV system, you know, that kind of do push the boundaries. And I've been able and lucky enough to be able to work on those projects in the past and, you know, be able to get back into that part of the industry would be great. You know, that part of the industry also took a big hit because yeah. well i i know that's gonna that's be the one yeah i mean disney laid off like a hundred thousand people the other yeah. day uh, it's like i i wonder how that's how the how that's gonna look once right. at all I, I think the production jobs are gonna be probably some of the last to get back mm -hmm. normal because they're all based around people congregating i know which is you know <laughs> so at some point i think we're gonna get over the hump and people are gonna start going you know what at some point everybody's gonna be exposed to it Right. You know, I think this whole big scare and what we did, the emergency response was 
based around the fact that we didn't want to overwhelm our hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. We knew everybody, you know, it's, it, well, Logical. actually, people didn't know that everybody's going to be exposed to it at some point or another. It's just how you, how you react and whether the hospitals can absorb it. Right. You know, now that everybody's learning and getting hip to what the realities of it is, then all of a sudden people are going to start loosening up, start having the concerts back, you know, start letting people go back to church and big, you know, big congregations and all. There's that. definitely the production side of that with the people, the boots oh, yeah. on the ground and putting yeah. those together. The, the side of the business that I, I find the best going back to my, you know, my initial interest to design a car, right? Is it still on the design side? I still like the front part of that process where it's like, bring the client, let me talk to the client. Let me see what they need and how I can help them achieve what they need. And then maybe push them beyond what they're already thinking about because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, exactly. So how do we push them beyond that? How do we take their needs and assess that and then bring that to a point that becomes this really amazing thing that when you're done with it, they're actually happy with the project at the end? Because obviously that's the idea is to really make your clients happy at the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Along with that, uh, we have to ask, we normally ask a question in our regular show and you being an audio guy, I want to ask you, what is your commissioning song? Your go-to song when it's like, okay, the system's up and going. What do you want to listen to first so you can hear how it's happening? I'll give you an audio answer. It depends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, your favorite. Um, I have a couple of songs. Um, I have a... Yeah, I have a, I have one CD that I have from a, an Australian trumpet player named James Morrison. Um, it's him with Ray Brown and Herb Ellis. It's the reason I like it is that the way it's panned. Um, I know that the bass is panned hard right. I know the guitar is panned hard left. I know the trumpet is right down the center. Right. So um, okay, uh, makes I, a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I know I can hear where my panning is. There's uh, I used to use uh, Rusted Root <laughs> to kind of you know. Put, put in the low end a little bit and, and try to hear a little bit of the low end. Um, I, I little probably a little bit of a vocalist like a Diana Corral or somebody like that just to hear the vocal reproduction, hear that mid-range, um, hear right. really where they're coming in. Okay. Well, cool. beautiful. So uh, we're going to be wrapping this up, Jason, because I have a Zoom call in 10 minutes. Um, there you go. But I'm curious. So what is, uh, what is one thing... Um, that would surprise people that, that people don't really know about you that you could share with us today that you can share with our listeners that I haven't already said on this call is that I um, I used to play basketball on the pickup courts of New York City ah I love it I love it see because people know you love sports but that doesn't mean that you were into sports so there you go so you have basketball skills so we really appreciate you um joining us today. You're yes, a very you. interesting guy. Yeah. Um, taking us on that journey. If, uh, if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jason okay. Jacoby CTS. Um, also linked under my Twitter handle, which is Jacoby Audio. So that's my last name in the word audio. Beautiful. Well, thanks. Don't you think he's great, Darren? Absolutely. I knew you would like him. I knew you would like him a lot. Thank I also you. appreciate good audio guys. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, thanks, Jason, and good luck in your job search, and I will I will see you on Twitter and AVMA. I look forward to it. Nice meeting Jason. Thank you for listening to Mostly AV, Who We Are show. We hope you have a wonderful day and that you stay safe. Until next time, take care and stay AV awesome. <laughs>